Thank you to our praise team. Y'all did a great job singing as well. I'm going to assume Ted's not sick. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, still a little leftover uh, cough and itch in my throat. But anyhow, feeling much better this week. Um, we are in a series looking at the parables of the Lord Jesus. I had shared with you, I think it was last week, that I'm wrapping this up for now. We're going to call time out on this series. We're coming to the end of Luke's parables. Um, and thank you, thank you, sir. Very good. Maybe we'll save that for Ted for later. How about that? <clears throat> there we go. And uh, so I think that... Um, so we're coming to the end of that, so I've probably got a couple more weeks left in Luke's gospel, and then we'll take a time out, and my plan is to then start a short series, four, maybe five weeks at the most, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and then by that point we'll be in Thanksgiving and Christmas season, we'll come back to the parables um, in Matthew's gospel, toward the end of Matthew's gospel, when we come to the first of the year. So that's kind of where we're heading with all these things. This morning, just a quick word about today, to this morning I was just, I was down in my office this morning, and I was just weeping. Just weeping, not like sobbing uncontrollably, but just weeping as I was going through this text and getting a sense of God's truth and recognizing God's truth and grasping with my finite little mind God's infinite wisdom and God's grandeur uh, and just the enormity of who God is and his plan and how he's working in our lives. And so it was just a blessing to me this morning as I was traveling through uh, some of this and preparing uh, last-minute stuff here for, for us today. And my prayer, my hope is, my prayer in my office this morning and even now, is that you will experience that same uh, encouragement, that same joy that comes from discovering God's um, eternal truth. And so we're hopefully, well, I'll do a good job this morning of helping us encounter and um, comprehend that truth today. Our parable today is the parable of the persistent widow. Um, in some texts, it's called the parable of the unjust judge. Uh, some refer to it that way. Uh, we're going to call it the parable of the persistent widow. And it comes from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 18. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. We'll read the parable itself, Luke chapter 18, verses 2 through 5. Here we go. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You may be seated. Thank you so very much. All right, so let's kind of walk into this together. I'm going to go back to the, just before the parable, Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, where Luke opens up uh, the, the, him about Jesus, about to report Jesus' um, telling of this parable. And he says in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he tells us what difference all this makes. He tells us how he wants to apply the parable that he's about ready to share. And here's Luke's words. He says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect, or for the purpose of, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Luke tells us right here at the outset, this is a little uncharacteristic for him, he tells us here at the outset, before he gives us a parable, what the parable is about. Okay, so just hold on to that. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Let's examine the parable itself. Verse 2. Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There were two types of courtrooms in ancient Israel. The first was a Jewish courtroom, and these courtrooms would have had a minimum of at least three judges. One of the judges was appointed by the prosecution, one of the judges was appointed by the uh, defense, and then the other was an independently appointed judge. 
um, in, uh, in, the, in the secular courtroom, in the Roman courtroom, um, they also had judges, although there would just be one judge in these courtrooms, and those judges were appointed by the Romans themselves. These secular Roman judges were notoriously corrupt unless you had deep pockets and could bribe them to, to rule in your favor, you probably weren't going to get the ruling that you wanted. Um, now, there, um, in Jesus' story, there's just one judge, which tips us off that this is a Roman courtroom that we're talking about here. And this secular judge uh, idea is reinforced by the statement the judge makes, or that Jesus makes of the judge, that this judge neither feared God, verse 2, nor respected man. This judge was definitely not Jewish. He was a Roman judge. He was a man of stature. He was a man of or status. Or not stature. He was a man of status. He was a man of position. And that status afforded him the luxury of not having to care what any of these Jewish folks thought about him, and nor did he care what anybody else thought about him. I mean, he was a judge. Nobody could touch him. He was a Roman judge. Enter character number two into the story, verse three. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to this judge or pestering this judge and saying to him, give me justice against my adversary. Widows in the first century were known to be among the most vulnerable of all of society. Jesus' audience, the Jewish people whom he's sharing this with, would have been keyed in on that. Women did not work outside of the home. They had no way of providing for themselves. Her husband is dead, so she likely has no means for getting this corrupt judge to hear her case, much less to give a ruling in her favor. But notice in verse 3 that it says that she kept coming to him. That is, every day he'd show up to work, here was this woman there pestering him, trying to get him, persuade him to rule in her favor. Every evening, when this judge left for, left for home, left the office for home, same thing, this woman was there. When this judge would step outside for his lunch break, hey, Mr. Judge, remember me, right? She's always constantly there. Though she didn't have money to persuade the judge, the one thing that she did have working in her favor was persistence. Now, I don't want to make too much of this. I'm not going to make any smart aleck remarks, but it is a widow and not a widower in Jesus' story. Think about that. Verse, verse 4. So what does this judge think about this widow? It's going to hit you later. So what does this judge think about this widow and her persistence? Verse 4. For a while, the judge refused, it says, to give her justice or to hear her case. But after a long time of this, or of her consistently coming to him and asking, making her request, he says to himself, you know, though personally, I neither fear God, nor do I care about what any human beings think about me or respect any man. Verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming to me. In other words, I will give this woman what it is that she wants just so that I can get her out of my hair, right? Just so that she'll finally, ultimately, leave me alone. The Greek word that's translated beat me down literally means to give someone a black eye. This widow has sunk her teeth in like a bulldog and is not letting go. And this judge concludes, God, I can handle. Men, I don't care about. But this woman is like tar baby, right? I mean, you just, I cannot shake her off. I cannot get rid of her everywhere I turn, everywhere I go, every time I find a moment's peace. She's there. This woman is relentless. She is the epitome of persistence. 
What's the lesson of all of this? The lesson is, remember back in verse 1, it said, the the lesson is to be persistent in prayer. Luke said at the outset of this parable, verse 1, that this parable was given to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Just as this widow would not let up in making her request of the judge, just the same don't you and I let up in our request before the Lord. So keep pecking away, keep being persistent in prayer. All right, well, that is our treatment of this parable today, and so that means it's time for us to stop here and ask the question we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? You see, Gordon, sounds like it's already been answered. So does that mean that we are getting out early today, we get to beat everybody else to the buffet line? Uh, what's, what's, what's happening here? Well, not so fast. There's a follow-up question, a reflection question that we need to consider, and that follow-up question is this. I've got to slide with, with it for you here. Why does God delay in answering our prayers? This, this whole parable, this whole teaching that Luke presents presumes that God is, will delay in answering our prayers. Well, I want to know why. Why, does, why doesn't God just, you know, he says he wants to answer our prayers. He's certainly capable of answering our prayers. Why won't he make the mountain move? Why won't he do it when I ask it? At, at, at my first request, why does God take a delayed approach in answering our prayers. Um, there's more than three reasons, but I'm giving you three this morning, okay? So these are not exhaustive. This is just some thoughts for our reflection. Three reasons why God takes a delayed approach in answering our prayers. Number one, reason number one, is because sometimes the stuff that we're asking for just isn't good for us. Sometimes the stuff we're asking for just isn't good for us. James chapter 4 and verse 3, James writes, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Friends, I mean, this is, goes without saying. God is not Santa Claus. God is not some genie in a bottle that whenever we ask him for, he's just going to give us what it is that we want. God is not going to give us what we want the way we want it, especially when God knows that the use of those things or the introduction of those things into our life is only going to serve to feed or fuel our sinful nature. Remember Samson in the Old Testament? He really wanted to marry Delilah. And he went against godly counsel that said, you ought not do this. And he did it anyway. And certainly, and come to find out, he lived to regret that. How about Lot, Abraham's nephew? Abraham gave Lot the choice of land on which to move his family, and Lot chose poorly. He chose Sodom and Gomorrah, and boy, was he sorry. You know, sometimes God delays in answering our prayers, or maybe doesn't answer them at all because God in his wisdom knows that what we are asking for is not what's best for us. I was talking with a Christian friend of mine recently, nobody that's connected to our church. Many, I don't think anybody in here would even know this individual. Um, He said to me, kind of jokingly, he said, you know what, I made a deal with God. That when I buy a lottery ticket, that if it's the winning lottery ticket, God, uh, I will give you, I will give the church half of the winnings. And he said, kind of laughingly, he said, God hadn't answered that prayer yet. All right. You know, we might think, that the winning lottery ticket is what we need. Well, is it really? Take, for example, some past winners. Abraham Shakespeare won $30 million. Three years later, he was murdered. Or how about Billy Bob Harrell, who won $31 million. Two years later, he turned a shotgun on himself 
and committed suicide. How about Victoria Zell, who won $11 million. Four years later, she killed a person while driving drunk and high on drugs, and she's still in jail today. How about Evelyn Adams, who won $5 million? She gambled it all away, and today is more poor than the day that she won the lottery. And then there's William Post, who won $7 million. His brother took out a contract on him, a hitman, put for somebody to kill him, so then hopefully he could get some of the inheritance money. William married six times and eventually was thrown in jail for assault. He was quoted as saying, I was much happier when I was broke. <laughs> Listen, friends, maybe God's delay in answering our prayers is because what we're asking for just isn't good for us. And maybe God's delay is actually his mercy activated in our life. Reason number two. The second reason why perhaps God delays in answering our prayers is because God is using that period of delay to mature us and grow us spiritually. You know, when it comes to, into, when, I, when things come into my life that I'm not particularly thrilled about, I mean, the first thing I always say is, God, get this out of here, right? God, remove this. God, stop this from happening. God, give me, give me deliverance from this. The Apostle Paul prayed a prayer just like that, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 7. Paul writes, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that I had received, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me. Paul is indicating that something pretty terrible has come into his life. Scholars debate or, or conjecture about what it is that they think it is. Some say it was um, epilepsy. Others say that they think he had an eyesight problem. But whatever it was, it was something that hindered him from being able to be 100% for his ministry. The point is, though, Paul had some sort of infirmity, some sort of health condition that was preventing him from doing his ministry at full force. It was something that he had to struggle with. And he says, as a result of this physical infirmity, verse 8, that three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord to remove this from me, that, I, that it should leave me. In other words, he prayed, God, just like we would pray, please take this away. God, get this out of here. God, deliver me of whatever it is that's come into my life that's making my life difficult. God chose, rather, though, to leave that prayer unanswered, at least for much of Paul's life. And the reason that God left this in place in Paul's life was not that Paul had sinned. And it was not that Paul wasn't praying sincerely. Certainly he was praying with all sincerity. But it was, as Paul said back in verse 7, it was there to prevent him from becoming conceited. It was to produce humility in his life. Friends, humility never comes about in our lives from on by, because of ease or comfort or security or success. Ease and comfort and success have never produced mature Christians. Mature Christians are produced in the struggle and the difficulty of life and the distress and the brokenness that comes from it. We've heard the statement before, until God is all we have, we'll never know that God is all we need. Sometimes those prayers go unanswered because God is teaching us something, God is growing us, God is deepening us, God is drawing us nearer to him in a way that he couldn't do if he hadn't allowed those things to be introduced into our lives. Reason number three. Third reason why God sometimes delays in answering our prayers is because the timing of what we are asking for does not align with God's timing. 
Flip over in your Bibles, if you would, back to um, Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. We were in Luke 18. We're going to jump back to verse 20, chapter 17. The parable that we just studied is actually part of Jesus' response to a question that is raised in Luke 17 and verse 20. Let's take a look at it. 17 and verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus answered them. And he gives them some teachings. And then he offers them this parable. The Pharisees want to know, Jesus, you you seem to always be talking about the kingdom. So you tell us, Jesus, when do you say the kingdom is going to come? The Jewish people had anticipated a time when the Messiah would arrive on the earth. And when he came, that all the nations of the earth would be subjected to him. Isaiah talked about this when he wrote Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government, the Messiah's government, of peace, there will be no end. Isaiah also describes this time of the Messiah's coming and of the kingdom of God coming into the earth. As a time when Isaiah 11 and verse 6, he writes, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Verse 8, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Adder's a type of snake. Verse 9, last verse, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Friends, these prophecies in Isaiah speak of a time when Israel will step to the forefront of global politics. It will be a time when the Messiah will reign from Jerusalem, and it also speaks of a time when creation itself will be reset, and all of the animals of creation will get along with one another. And won't be any, any, no, the lion won't be eating the lamb, won't be, and the leopard won't be chasing around after uh, the young goat, and cobras will become man's best friend. That's going to be quite a change, right? Because I'm not particularly too thrilled about the black snakes that I see around, much less some cobra. Now, those words were written sometime around 700 B.C. Y'all say that with me. 700 B.C. Just to kind of get our heads wrapped around the magnitude of this. Jesus is asked the question by the Pharisees in the year 33 A.D., which means for 700-plus years now, the Jewish people have been waiting and hoping and anticipating and praying for the kingdom of God to come. And to that request, to that topic, the Lord, Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, implores his Jewish audience, now a Christian audience, Luke 18 and verse 1, to always pray and not to lose heart. Friends, that is what we might call a generational prayer. A generational prayer. What difference does that have to do with your life and mine? You know, there are some prayers that you and I will never live to see answered on this side of heaven. But let me tell you something. God, our Father in heaven, says, I hear those prayers and I implore you to keep them coming. And not to lose heart. Because one day, you will ecstatically celebrate the answer to those prayers. Again, you may not live to see it on this side of heaven. But God will bring it about. 
Just like those Jewish people did in the first century when they realized that after 700 years of praying and yearning for the Messiah, that the Messiah had finally come. The point is, just like all those Jewish people who prayed and yearned and beseeched the Lord for generations to send the Messiah, just like them, you and I may never live to see those prayers answered. We may be in heaven when it happens. Nevertheless, God hears our prayers, and God, in his timing, will answer those prayers. You know, my grandmother was the definition of a prayer warrior. And I credit the fact that I am where I am today, in part, to all of her praying for me. She had 12 grandchildren, and she prayed for each of us every day of our lives up until the day that she died. But when she died, I got to admit that it wasn't just me, but others, us, my cousins, others of our family were all a little concerned. Grandma's gone, and the, you know who's praying for me now, right? And I feel like I had lost some of that barrier, that buffer against my stupidity, right? That was allowing the mercies of God to flow into my life. Listen, those prayers that my grandmother prayed, friends, they have not lost their effect. They have not lost uh, you know, their impact in my life just because she's gone. That's what Jesus teaches us here. Those prayers continue to funnel protection and the favor of God and the blessing of God and the mercy of God into my life. What Jesus teaches us today is that the prayers we pray don't lose their importance or their impact just because the person who prayed them has gone on to be with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Amen? Let me give you another, for instance, my fourth cousin. You're like, your fourth cousin? Yeah, actually, I know who my fourth cousin is. I don't know all my fourth cousins, but I know who one of them is. He's a guy who happens to be a principal at one of our local schools here, believe it or not. I'd never met him until about three or four years ago. I knew the last name, and when his last name came up, I was like, by any chance, dude? And then come to find out, he was my fourth cousin. Anyway, long story short. Um, he, we were riding home one day from a, from a school event, and we were just talking about family and connections and stuff. And he said, you know, I have this aunt. She's gone on to be with the Lord now. He said, but she, she, she started praying for her other eight or nine, however many siblings it was she had. They had a bunch of them. She started praying for all of her siblings. And then they got married, and she started praying for their spouses, too. And then they started having children, and she started adding those to her prayer list. And she would pray through that prayer list every day, all eight or nine siblings, their spouses, plus the children that they were starting to have. And then when their children started having children, so the grandchildren of these people, she kept praying. She kept making the list. And the list kept growing as it came to great-grandchildren and all the whole family as it spread out. And he said by the time she died, this aunt of his had a list of something like 130 people that she prayed for every day. That family has produced friends more missionaries and more pastors and more evangelists, godly men and women than any family I know. They have served on boards of mission agencies and Christian schools and Christian seminaries. They've been Christian leaders in their respective communities, and they continue to produce, that family continues to produce godly men and women. And every one of those family members will tell you to this day, part of the reason why I am where I am today is because of prayers of my aunt. Some of the grandchildren have now picked up where their aunt had left off. Friends, some prayers are generational. They are not... Ooh. 
We'll never see them answered. But they continue in their power and their effect in our lives. Which is why the Lord Jesus teaches us, hey gang, look, I want you, I want to implore you to continue to pray to continue and not lose heart in your prayers because the God of the ages hears those prayers and he will bring about an answer to those prayers. So be persistent in your prayers. You know, every Saturday night, my wife's side of the family gathered together. We grill burgers, hot dogs, whatever. And just, just to be together, I mean, it's a special time for us. And every Saturday night before we eat, my father-in-law always prays. Sorry. I was weeping, right? I knew it was going to happen again. I had like stuff coming out of every orifice of my face earlier this morning. <laughs> and every Saturday night before we eat, we gather together and we pray. And he prays for God's blessing over all the households represented. And then he wraps up his prayer like this. He says, Lord, I pray that you would bring revival to this land. I've heard that prayer hundreds of times. Even sometimes to the point of going, boy, you know, let's move on to something, another topic, right? Friends, that is a generational prayer. What we are asking God to do, the fruits of which we may never see, but it will be a blessing for generations to come. Jesus says, we ought always to be praying like that. And not lose heart. God, our Father in heaven, is listening. And in his timing, he will bring those things to pass. Let's pray. Most gracious God, thank you for showing us how we ought to pray. Thank you for reminding us today that those things we have prayed for, some of us for years, have not been lost on you. Lord, that you are working things out. You're making things come together in your timing and in your way to bring you glory and to draw people unto yourself. God, give us a vision of what you want us to be praying for generationally, for our family, for our nation. God, we want to bring it before you today. With renewed vigor. We don't want to lose heart. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you this morning for just a jolt in the arm to say, find your knees again. Remember that old dusty prayer that you used to pray? Find your knees again for it and continue to lift it up to the Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you for your shed blood that allows us even to be able to approach the throne of God. Lord, we give you this time. Holy Spirit, work and stir in our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.